Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good buddy, Mr. Torrin Wells. Make sure you grab a copy of his album, Citizen of Heaven. Today's episode is brought to you in part by my friends at International Justice Mission. Y'all know IJM is a global nonprofit working to end slavery and violence around the world. Over the last two decades, more than 50,000 individuals have been set free. In Latin America, they help children and women who have survived all kinds of violence and abuse. Across Southern Asia, IJM works with local law enforcement to rescue individuals and families out of slavery and traffic. It's been 20 years of hard work, countless miracles, and amazing partners. And IJM says for certain that hope is possible beyond tragedy when we come together for good. There are thousands more children, men, and women who are still waiting for rescue. You can make a difference in their lives by becoming a Freedom Partner. Freedom Partners give monthly so that IJM can show up month to month to rescue people from slavery and walk with survivors as they heal. So visit IJM.org slash change lives to be a part of the movement for good. Again, that's IJM.org slash change lives. Speaking of friends who have changed my life, I cannot wait to introduce y'all to Nona Jones. Nona Jones and I met about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, at an event, and I have just enjoyed following her and learning from her and being her friend ever since then. Her new book, Success from the Inside Out, for starters, the cover is gorgeous. It's red and yellow. It's it's a dream. You've got to grab you a copy. It's a really great book. But mainly, I want to chat with Nona today. As you will hear, she is so inspirational, and she's really active you know, feet on the ground during COVID-19 and helping Facebook help churches to do this season really well. I think you're going to find this really interesting. So here is my conversation with my friend, Nona Jones. Nona Jones. Hi, friend. Hey. Thank you so much for doing this today. No, thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. <laughs> well, I feel the same. We just had Mike Kelsey on a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like I'm doing like my tour of friends that hung out together in Colorado. <laughs> oh, yes. I wish we could be back in Colorado, by the way. That would have been no really, really nice. Kidding. <laughs> the other friend that we share, we share a bunch of friends, but the other friend that told me about you before I met you, and we actually became friends a year ago, was Drew Powell because of all you do with Facebook and the way that you kind of work with local church leaders. Yes. Love Drew. That's so funny how the world is so small. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome to know that we know the same great people. I know. I love it. Tell me what, can you explain your Facebook job to everybody? Sure. Yeah. So my, my title is head of global faith-based partnerships, which is incredibly ambiguous, which leads to more <laughs> questions. Um, so what I do, my role is both externally facing and internally facing. So externally, I work with faith leaders, denominations, associations, pastors, et cetera, um, to make sure that they are able to use Facebook for purposes of ministry and community building, which is a little bit of a different way that most uh, people use Facebook in an organizational context because they tend to use it for marketing. So um, really trying to help people uh, think differently about Facebook as a community builder. And then internally, I work across um, a number of our product teams to really help them with their road mapping um, as it relates to faith and what we need to be building to support communities of faith. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, 
do a lot of, you know, speaking and, and really just trying to equip the global church uh, on how to use uh, social technology for ministry, which seems really relevant right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what made you get into that though, Nona? Honestly, God, and I'm not exaggerating. I I didn't work in tech or social media prior to this role. I was actually in a job that I loved, thought I would be in it for the rest of my life. And I was in prayer one day. This was back in April of 2017. And uh, I I heard the Lord say, this assignment is over, which, Mm. you know, it was such a clear statement, but it took me all the way by surprise because that was not what I had intended. And so I thought I heard incorrectly. So I prayed again a few days later and the Lord said the same thing. And uh, as I sought God for clarity, uh, he just told me to resign at the end of the fiscal year, which would have been June 30th, 2017. And um, on that day, which was only a couple of months after he told me to resign, I gave my letter of resignation to uh, my boss. And of course she asked, well, where are you going? What are you doing? I I have to be able to tell people something. And all I could say is uh, I'll tell you soon. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, Lord, where am I going? Right. And, then, um, you know, I got in my car, we finished talking around 140. I got in my car and I was driving home and at 205, my cell phone rang and it was a 650 area code. It just says San Francisco, which, you know, I figured it was a telemarketer, but the spirit told me to take that call. And when I did, the woman on the other line asked, is this Nona Jones? And I said, yes. And she said, I'm calling from Facebook. And I said, that's really funny because Facebook doesn't call people. So who is this? Right. (laughs) And uh, she proceeded to tell me um, all about how the mission of the company had changed and faith was going to be a a priority. And they wanted to know if I was interested in helping them uh, think about how to do that. And I was shocked, of course, but I thought it was like a advisory board or a committee. Like it it didn't dawn on me that this was a job. And so uh, they sent me an email, which had a link to a job description and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. So when people say, how did you get in the role? Like, it's quite literally God. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I never filled out an application. Uh, my first day on campus was uh, the day I started. I didn't do like interviews. As a matter of fact, when the people were preparing my offer letter, they asked me to send them my resume because they didn't have it. And so they yeah. didn't know uh, what address to put on my offer letter. So oh straight up God. <gasps> Okay, let's talk about that for a minute, Nona, because something we love talking around about here is hearing God and how to hear God, because everyone wants to, no matter where you are in your spiritual life, prayer and connecting to God and hearing back from Him is something people want to be better at and good at in the first place. How How do you hear God? Well, I think it really starts, honestly, with just spending time with Him. You know, it's hard to discern the voice of someone that you don't spend any time with. And so I'm very intentional about starting my day with prayer, with Bible study. Um, and I, I honestly, I bring everything to God. You know, I, I really try not to make a decision just based on something I wanted to do or something I thought would be great to do. Uh, I try to pray and just ask God, you know, Lord, this is something that I, I think would be really cool. I need you to give me clarity on what your will is for my life. And every single time uh, the Lord has done that. Now there have been times where I have made a decision, like I just want to do this thing because I'm going to do it. And it always backfires. Like it always (laughs) blows up. And so I've just learned like, all right, let me just lean on the Lord. And, you know, sometimes silence is an answer. Hmm. And that's, that's hard for people to understand is like, if you haven't heard from God, 
like just don't move. Hmm. Sometimes silence is an answer, and and it's hard to uh, to rest in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I've learned to do. One of the things our Pastor Kevin here always says is, when you don't hear anything new, go with the last thing you heard. Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> that's exactly right. Don't change course. If the last thing you heard was go left, and you're asking for new words, keep going left till you hear different. Just keep going left. That's it. Yeah. And so I mean, one of the things that I love about you, Nona, is. And, and I'm inspired by is you make time in the morning for prayer and for time in the word and for study, but you also have like a husband and kids and a job and you work out and like, it's like you have 36 hours in a day to my 24. How do you do that in the morning, especially right now in pandemic life when through the end of the school year and the start of the summer, your kids are home all the time. Like moms always want to find time in the morning, but it's hard. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's really, really hard. Um, I've had to uh, essentially like set a schedule and just totally stick with it. And it's it's been hard. But one of the principles that I've tried to adopt in my life, I'm not perfect at it. So I'm just going to tell you what it is. But just know this is what I try to do. I really try to like segment my time so okay. that I'm able to fully focus on whatever I'm working on. So if it's time for dinner, then it's time for dinner. It's not time for checking, you know, messages. It's not time for calling people. It's time for dinner with my family. Uh, if it's time for work, it's time for work. It's not time for me to, you know, go swimming. It's not time for me to go to the mall. Like I, I really try to focus my time. And when it gets challenging, of course, is when, you know, we're home and our kids are like, my kids will yeah. be like, mommy, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. They're like, mommy, can let's go swimming. I'm like, I have an afternoon full of meetings. I can't yeah. just go take a dip in the pool, <laughs> like have at it. Um, but yeah, just trying to like, just kind of create those guardrails around my time and uh, sticking with it, sticking with it. That's that's really what's been helpful. But I will say this to people who are listening, who are like, yeah, that wouldn't work for me. Give yourself grace. You know, I think a lot, a lot of times we put way too much pressure on ourselves to be like somebody else. Mm -hmm. And we have different responsibilities. We have different life uh, cycles every day. Uh, so yeah, just give yourself grace, do the best that you can uh, and figure out what's important to you and structure your life around that. Is it different now that you're, cause your boys are upper elementary school, right? Was it different when they were two and three or two and five or, or have you always been this disciplined with your time, like sections? That's a really good question. So uh, yeah, my boys right now, they're, they're seven and 10. I've, I've been pretty consistent. Um, and that's because I have a husband who's been incredibly helpful, mm -hmm. but I've also like traveled a lot. So I, I've worked jobs over the last many years where I had to travel a lot, which meant uh, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, I'd be in another city or another country. Yeah. So I would start my day working out because I didn't have uh, to get people ready for school. Like I ironed their clothes over the weekend and I'm sure. in a whole other place. Um, but, but I think that's also part of it is just the pre-planning. So even when I'm home, like even now, the, the way I'm able to keep that schedule is because of the pre-planning. So mm -hmm. the night before, you know, just making sure that everybody's clothes are together, making sure that everybody's work is together. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not so rushed and chaotic that I can't get to the things that are important to me. What, and, and tell me the truth. When you're at home, how early are you waking up? I wake up at seven. I don't, I don't wake up. Nana, how do you do all this? You wake up at seven? 
<laughs> wake up at seven. Yeah. So I, I'll give you my, my rundown. I'm so going to need you wake- to, cause I'm about to copy it. I'm about to cut and paste whatever you're doing into my life. Listen, I literally, I, I wake up at seven. So the night before I always, I lay out my um, clothes for working out or running. Uh, so I wake up at seven, get up, brush my teeth, throw my clothes. That typically is like about five or 10 minutes at the most. And I'm out the door. And laying out your clothes the night before is, um, is like, how could you not put them on in the morning? Cause they're looking at you. Exactly. Okay. So there's no excuse like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't feel like pulling out clothes. So it's done. Um, put the clothes on and I'm either in the living room doing a workout video, which let me just tell you, I hate really? workout videos. I just, I can't deal with, it. I love gyms, but obviously that's not our, our situation now. Yeah. So I'll do that or I'll go running. Um, and that's typically about 45 minutes. Uh, my boys, they know their breakfast situation. So that's done by the time I get back. Um, it's just going over their schedule for the day and uh, take a shower. And then that's my time for a prayer and study. Uh, I'll do that usually about 30, 45 minutes um, just to get my day started and then um, start prepping for my day. I always, the night before, like the night before is actually really key. Yeah. I was about to say, teach me about this night before business because yeah. I'm shutting it down and going to sleep. The night <laughs> no, I, I always, the night before I'll print out my schedule for the next day, take a look at it, make notes uh, on it, any things I need to do, uh, that aren't, uh, written on the document. And then, um, you know, I know what's going on the next day. So I know what time I have to wrap up my study because I need to get on a meeting or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, I literally plan essentially every minute of my day has a name and that makes it really simple to stick with the plan. I think what happens is when, when we don't do that and we just hope that everything gets done. <laughs> right. It just doesn't happen. There so. are appropriate <laughs> times for hope and that is not <laughs> scheduling your exercise. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's on my calendar. Like if you look at my calendar, you'll see I have workout from seven to eight on my calendar. It's yeah. there. Yeah. Wow. No, no. Okay. So how late do you stay? Are you a night owl? I am not, but I end up staying up late because my husband is. Okay. And so a lot of times we'll end up staying up because he likes to watch the news. But then I try to use that time to read because I try to I try to read like a book a week just to keep my mind stimulated. So, <laughs> you literally have people throwing shoes right now and being like, how is this girl doing all of this? <laughs> I try to read a book a week. I usually oh learn God. a new pastry technique and <laughs> before I go to bed. <laughs> I am, I'm studying Mandarin right now. Not at all. <laughs> so no, <laughs> that is honestly though, that's my escape because, okay. you know, like all day, like we're with people and, and on technology kids. constantly. And, yeah. And so that's like my time to just unwind. So I'll typically like go out on my back patio and just open a book and just like listen to the wind and just, yeah. <laughs> just read. Um, and that's how I try to end my day. Okay. Okay. I am. I've been impressed with you since day one, but this is next level. Currently. Oh, gosh. I, so tell me about one of the days where it just goes sideways. Cause there's gotta be days where you don't check everything off the list oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. where you, you don't do a good job prepping for the next day. I mean, does that happen to you? Oh yeah, okay, no, it does. Because I mean, that's life, you know, things pop up that you weren't anticipating. There are times where, I mean, I, I was on a, a meeting earlier today, like a two hour meeting that I was hosting with like a team in yeah. I think, Singapore and somebody pinged me and they were like, Hey, we need you in this meeting. And I was like, 
well, I'm like hosting a meeting right now. And so I literally had to leave my meeting uh-uh. and, while it was happening to be on this other meeting. So things happen like that. And, you know, you just, again, try to give yourself grace. What I'll try to do is if there are things that I didn't get done, I'll just ask myself, okay, yes, it was on my calendar, but did it really need to happen today? Hmm. If it does, then I'll work on it later tonight before I go to sleep. But if it doesn't, then I'll just schedule it for another day, you know, versus feeling like, oh gosh, I'm a failure. Oh gosh. It's like, no, 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 no. Things happen. So you just, you do the best you can. Now don't answer this yet, but people are, I, I can hear them throwing shoes and I can hear them asking me to ask you what your Enneagram number is, but don't tell me yet. Because my <laughs> first question is going to be, did you teach yourself to be disciplined like this because it's the life you wanted to have or is this natural for you? Well, to be honest, this is probably more so an outgrowth of um, my childhood. And this is this is going to sound bad, but it's true. I think because there was so much trauma and dysfunction and just disorder and chaos in my childhood, I really adopted a lot of, I guess, kind of self-discipline principles mm-hmm. in order to create a sense of predictability. And I know I know that about me now. I actually know that about a lot of people that have experienced trauma yeah. is they tend to be very orderly, very um, perfectionist driven yeah. because you're trying to create order out of chaos. And so that's literally where it came from. And, you know, I, I've learned to be comfortable. My husband hates it, but I've just learned to be comfortable in order. And so, you know, he gets so upset because I'll be the one who's like, why is that glass sitting on the table? It doesn't belong on the table. Why is that shoe over here? Like, I'm just the one. And he's like, oh my gosh, it's a house. Calm down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and now will you tell us how, what Enneagram number you identify as? I, uh, I think last time I did a test, I was a three. Okay. Okay, so that's good for people to know that. But but the first, the reason I asked you the other question first is I don't want people to hear a number and go, oh yeah, that's not me anyway. Because right, the, the actual right, right. reality is that may be your number that is part of who you are. But the bigger mm-hmm. part of who you are is you have out of your childhood and out of who you want to be, you have created a schedule that works for you and your family. Absolutely. And any yeah, number can do I, that. Any number can do that. That's yeah, right. those, are, those are principles that apply to anyone who just wants to kind of create some order, <laughs> right. order in your life. Tell me yeah. how it was different during April, May. Do y'all, y'all live in Florida? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We're okay. in Florida. Mm-hmm. And so how has it been different in April and May and the start of June? Like how's it been different having your boys home all the time and having oh. healthcare <laughs> being such a concern, but also your actual job probably mm-hmm. went into overdrive Oh man. I can only imagine. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. This has been a really, really interesting season um, for a number of reasons. So one, it's been, it's been great uh, being home because of course, being able to have dinner with my family is, is like the highlight of my day. It's also been challenging though, because you know, I've had many friends who have said, you know, this has been so nice. You know, I've just kind of been relaxing and watching Netflix and this. Mm. And I'm like, that hasn't been my story. Uh, yeah. I have been, I often am in meetings like from sunup to sundown. I was last night, I was on a call with the team in India. It was like, I think 9.30 PM. My seven-year-old is standing at the door of my office right at this moment, uh, looking at me, right. allowing my dog to walk in the office. But I was <laughs> I was in, on, a, on a conference call with a team in India last night at like 1030 at night, yeah. you know, so it's because it's the day we're recording, like, there was a natural disaster the day before in India. I assume it was around that. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's stuff happening all the time. So that's been hard. And then my kids, you know, they just don't understand like, yeah, mommy and daddy are home, but mommy and daddy have to work yeah. in order to have a home. They're just <laughs> like, Oh, you're home. Let's, let's go play. Let's go ride bikes. Um, so that's been, that's been challenging for sure. And yeah, work has been super intense. It's been very rewarding though. Uh, because honestly, what, what is happening now, I certainly didn't foresee it. Uh, at the same time, however, for the last like three years, that had been my whole mission was to right. help churches, you know, um, optimize the the digital space for ministry. So, I yeah. mean, that's the crazy thing that you're a model of to me, Nona, is that that we can all think about is the investments we're making right now in people and in ourselves. You have no idea in a year how you're going to need those investments. Like, that's yep. not why we do it. But it's like, no, no, you've been investing in church leaders for years and then you were there for them and you didn't have to pick up the phone and go, can I help you? You already had each other's phone numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was getting uh, late night texts and calls and pings from people who were like, uh, so it's, it's been rewarding though. And I think what's, what's funny, I was talking with a friend uh, the other week, uh, an incredible voice of leadership for this generation, powerful person. And he asked me, he was like, um, you know, how are you doing? And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm tired but I'm also super energized Mm. because I see for many years, I wondered, I was like, Lord, why did you call me to this? Like, this is not my expertise. And uh, my expertise has really been the kingdom of God and ministry. And now I see why. So Mm. the exhaustion is a good thing. I'm like, yes. So I see why I was called to this. So, yeah. Yes. I mean, it just is this, I felt that too, a little bit known in my work of going like, Mm -hmm. I was a little bit built for this to happen. Like my (laughs) skills have actually like God and and a very, and and our mutual friend and Voskamp says this in in some real ways, I feel that Esther generation thing on us. Mm, Do you, have you felt that in the middle of all of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It has just felt like where Esther says, where Mordecai says to Esther, you like, who knows, but maybe you were made for such a time as this. And oh, I have, <laughs> I have felt that in the middle of this. So going, yeah. they, God could have picked any group of people to be the adults when the pandemic happened. He picked us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this wasn't mm-hmm. our parents and this isn't the kids. This is us. How have you, how have you seen that true in your life that you can tell that there was a part of this that God, God built you for? Oh, well, you know, I, I think I've always, so I've always been a, just a curious person. And so um, that's part of the reason why I read so much. And I think coming into this role in particular, like there was no blueprint for what I needed to do. There was really no um, playbook. There was no roadmap. It was just like, get in there and figure it out. And, and because that's what I essentially had to do, I think what it did is it opened my eyes and my mind and my heart to the possibilities. And so now uh, I was just talking to a pastor, like right before this, I was just talking to a pastor who said, you know, he works with a network of of churches, like smaller churches. And he said, these pastors literally don't know what to do. They are completely and totally just bewildered. And, uh, you know, because I went through that process myself three years ago, it's like, I'm, I'm really able to kind of bring people along. Yeah. So I, I do see how the, the hand of God, even in that time of uncertainty and just complete utter confusion, uh, it was building something uh, within me that would be helpful to other people later. Can you talk a little bit, I don't know if you have stats off the top of your mind, but can you talk a little bit about how Facebook 
and the church have changed in these couple of months? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think uh, relative to just church on Facebook, I mean, we've seen just such an increase, just a dramatic, <laughs> rapid increase in the number of lives, the number of Facebook live streams. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen a dramatic and rapid increase in uh, churches launching groups and, you know, people joining those groups. Uh, we've seen just engagement increasing um, just all across the board, across all the platforms and apps. Uh, And it's been inspiring to see because, you know, I talked to many pastors along the journey who basically refused to use these tools. They were like, absolutely not. Church is what happens in a building. And I'm not going to, you know, use Facebook to uh, to uh, be an alternative. And my thing to them was it's not about being an alternative. It's about being a supplement. Right. You know, we we have 168 hours in the week but we only seem to plan for like the one, one and a half hours in the building on the weekend. So um, yeah, it's, it's been really inspiring. And I think people now see more than ever uh, that the, the possibilities are just limitless. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Nona to tell you about our friends over at Liquid IV. Listen, our box of Liquid IV packs came in today and I am so excited because of all the things we keep in our office, Liquid IV, LaCroix, and chocolate run out the fastest. (laughs) Liquid IV is an easy, healthy solution for dehydration. So you just take one stick of Liquid IV and 16 ounces of water and it hydrates you faster and more efficiently than water alone. Proper hydration is crucial for your immune system and can boost your immunity. These packs have more vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. In fact, one packet contains five essential vitamins, and it's healthier than a sugary sports drinks for sure. No artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. It's made with clean ingredients, non-GMO, vegan, and free of gluten, dairy, and soy. And you know that matters a lot to me. So we love the taste around here of Liquid IV. People, whether it's us who work in the office every day or friends who come and visit, everybody wants Liquid IV. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Target, Whole Foods, and Costco. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com. And use the code that sounds fun at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code that sounds fun at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code that sounds fun. And now back to the show. Yeah, where do we go next, Nona? Like, I mean, we're going to be able to start going back to church in some form, in some way in the near future, but. What do you see? I mean, you're I love talking to people in the tech space because y'all see six months for, from now where we only see maybe a week from now. What do you <laughs> see coming for believers, particularly in a gathering way, thanks to Facebook or other platforms? Well, so this is actually, this probably isn't specific to tech, but I think it's a byproduct of the situation. I think that we're going to just value the in-person connection so much more. Yeah. Um, Girl, I, you I know really I will. Do. I'm ready to <laughs> hug some people. Uh, listen, hug attack. I um, I think that uh, we know that technology is an incredible supplement. It's, uh, it's a wonderful enhancement, but in no way does it replace the important value of those face-to-face interactions. And so I think that kind of next iteration of technology is going to be 
tech that really fosters and facilitates and deepens in-person interactions. Mm. Uh, and that, of course, sounds kind of counterintuitive because people think of tech as being, you know, its own dimension. And it is. But I think because this situation has illuminated the importance of those in-person interactions, I think tech is going to be thinking more deeply about how do we enable that in a, a deeper way. Yeah, it is. It has been fascinating to watch. And it has felt so hopeful, honestly, to me, Nona, to know that our church leaders and so many church leaders around the world have you as their like 911 Facebook call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. Been really hopeful <laughs> being like if I know I know that Pastor Drew can call you and that Absolutely. what our church needs is available. So so friends who are listening and they are church leaders, church pastors, they are helping pastor a church. Do you have resources they can go and download from Facebook or is there like a page they should join or a group? Well, we actually have a, uh, a website up right now. It's at facebook.com backslash community backslash faith. Okay. okay. There is a toolkit there. There's a, a number of resources there. Um, and I've been encouraging leaders to visit that site because um, a lot of the questions that people have, we've answered proactively through the toolkit and through sure. the various resources there. So yeah, it's just facebook.com backslash community backslash faith. Uh, and you can check it out. Okay, we'll make sure to link that and uh, so that our, we can share that. And I'll share that the day this comes out so that all of our leaders have all the access. Because just because this round of opening up is happening does not mean that we go back. Right. <laughs> There's right. this, we don't know that this won't happen again. And we, I, I think, and I'm not in tech, I'm just an Annie. I think it looks <laughs> like we're going to be incorporating technology more and more into our faith, not, not back to less. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. We'll get to that. And then, Mm -hmm. Nona, your book, Success from the Inside Out, came out in January. And (laughs) the amazing thing to me is it it fits and teaches just as well right now. It's like you pre-pivoted for us. Because will you talk about (laughs) a little bit what what does it mean, success from the inside out? Absolutely. Um, So the the book is, uh, it's my memoir. And Um, I wrote it because I think a lot of times we tend to walk into the successful chapter that a person's life is on and we just assume that's their entire story. So people who have never met me, um, many times they would see me, you know, speak somewhere. And um, I've had people reach out to me and say, gosh, will you mentor me? Uh, You know, you you're so inspiring. And uh, I've even had people say, I would love to be like you one day. And um, I wrote the book because, you know, behind every success, there is a story. And for me, I alluded to it earlier. uh, I grew up in a situation with a tremendous amount of just um, dysfunction and abuse and experienced a a lot of abuse for the first half of my childhood, for the majority of my childhood, really. And um, even though I was blessed, I was able to build uh, success, a pretty pretty steady trajectory of success um, across my life. Mm -hmm. Um, There were also just issues with feelings of inadequacy, feelings of um, unworthiness. Uh, my mother had told me many times that she didn't want to have me. Oh, um, wow. and she also, uh, brought her boyfriend back from jail, uh, after he had sexually abused me, brought him back home, uh, where he continued to do it again. Oh, and wow. so I, I felt like I just had no purpose, no purpose in life. And so those were reminiscent thoughts that carried across all of my successes. 
And I want people to know uh, it, it doesn't matter what you accumulate around you. If there's a deficit within you, nothing will ever lead to sustained joy. So wow. the book was really about what I learned and what I've learned across my career, across my life, as well as some principles on leadership uh, and success uh, to try to help people build a success that's that's lasting and sustainable. Man, I had an experience like that with my counselor about two years ago where uh a relationship had ended, but I would have mm-hmm. told you leading up to that day that I was in like everything was going and everything was green and it was just like the dream world. And when the relationship ended, my counselor said, you need to remember this because just because you think you have everything outwardly lined up does not mean that you're going to get everything you want. And it doesn't mean that your heart is right. Mm-hmm. And I think people think when yeah. they change their bank account or their body or their job, or if I only had this, then. And so often what we don't consider is what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's, that's the most important part. I think we put a tremendous amount of energy and effort into the optics of happiness yes, uh, and, and making people think, I mean, you look at social media, you know, people with the filters and, and everybody only shows the highlight reels. Look at this amazing thing that happened in my life. And uh, what we don't see is behind the scenes that they're depressed, that they're suicidal, that they, that beautiful car that they posted about three months ago got repossessed. You know, yeah. we don't, we don't see those things. And so um, I decided, and that's part of the reason again, why I wrote the book, I decided that I didn't want to do that. I, I didn't want to live a life that was just a semblance of happiness when I, I really needed healing. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping people people find and discover healing uh, in this book. No, no. What kind of questions? Like, do you have some questions we can ask ourselves today as we're kind of living still in a weird world, but everything's getting going back to opening up? But what are some questions we can ask ourselves of like, am I actually living a successful life that's only exterior or is this actually building from the inside? Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the questions that I invite people to think about um, in the book uh, deals with, with comparison Hmm. and this idea that uh, we tend to view our success in comparison to somebody else. Like like there's always, always somebody else. I do it too. It makes me insane. I know it's, it's, and it's, it's one of those things too, that uh, when I was writing the book, uh, God really, really spoke to me about, uh, because the thing we have to know is God doesn't make mistakes, nor does he make extras. Hmm. So every single person who was created was created with a unique purpose and uh, given unique gifts, a unique calling. But when we compare ourselves to other people, we actually end up discounting that uniqueness And so um, I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, who am I comparing myself to? And furthermore, why am I comparing myself to that person? You know, the the other piece, too, is we oftentimes think that if somebody else, you know, um, succeeds, that somehow we we lose when in fact Mm. it's not a zero sum game. That's right. It's not, you know, we, we don't have this uh, scarcity of opportunity. So again, it's just some of us have to, and I do it myself. Some of us have to just like stop following some people on social media. Some of us have to just, you know, stop asking people to tell you about their lives. Yeah. uh, If you're going to keep comparing yourself to them, but yeah, that's, that's one of the easiest ways to diminish the, the great things God has done in your life is to compare yourself yeah. with other people. 
No, no. When I'm fin- when I'm on a book deadline, I mute every other author who's on a book deadline. I'm like, I just <laughs> can't. So I can't turn on Instagram and see you counting how many words you've written when I did six <laughs> today. So, exactly. <laughs> right? And it's and it's not that they're doing anything wrong. Sometimes the muting and the unfollowing of people on social media has zero to do with how the with them and how they're living your lives and everything to do with me and how I'm uh, comparing my life to theirs. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, that's why um you know, if you look at my my social like I I don't tend to follow a lot of people. Uh, the reason for that is I'm super protective of my mental space and my heart space. Yeah. Like I don't I don't want to look over the fence at other people's lives and then somehow think that my life isn't as good. So yeah. I don't I don't follow people unless I like I know them or connect with them in some way. Um, and that's just why. Um, and I, I try also to the best of my ability, you know, I really try to use my own social as a means to inspire and to challenge yeah. as opposed to just say, look at me, y'all. Like, <laughs> right, right. You know, <laughs> I don't want to, I just, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. If, and I love that about your Instagram and your Facebook. I mean, that's what I love is I, I always read it. I mean, that's why we started with tell me how you do all the things. Cause I was like, I'm always so inspired by your life, but I do not feel that um, sometimes when you see people being inspirational, you can feel them waiting on your response. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. like the reason they said how the reason they said something inspirational is because they want me to tell them they're inspirational. And you never <laughs> feel right. like that. It's such a confidence. How, I mean, especially with your story, and you write about this a little bit in um, Success from the Inside Out, but your confidence is so genuine. It isn't worked up. How did you do that? What did you say to the Lord and how is that in you? Hmm, wow. Well, first of all, that means a tremendous amount <laughs> coming from you. You know, I I try to be, I and I'm not perfect at this. I, I don't think I could ever be, but I just try to be confident in God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's it's easy when we start where we lose it is when we uh we find our confidence in ourselves. And, and I said, I'm not perfect at finding my confidence in God because there are times uh, when I do think, oh my gosh, you know, did I do that right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, oh no, did, did somebody else do better at that? Or, and, and that's when I, I find myself on, on shaky ground. But yeah, I think just finding, finding my confidence, my hope, my identity in the Lord has really led to the, the confidence um, to be able to just speak. And plus, you know, like I said earlier, just knowing the voice of God really helps me. A lot of what I tend to share is just what God has said to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not, it's funny because it's like, I'm not as much preaching at people as I am just sharing what God said to me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. <laughs> it feels like, and you, you can totally say, I don't want to talk about that if you don't want to talk about this. We don't talk very much about bodies and exercise and that kind of stuff on the show because there are so many factors involved. Yeah. And there, and there are so many different body shapes and we can't look at someone else and determine how healthy they are. Absolutely not. Yeah. And I, I talk, I talk a little bit about this on social about, um, how I, I lost a hundred pounds about seven years ago, um, where I, I lived my life, um, just overweight, um, pretty consistently. That's how I've been all my life. And so I'm incredibly just, uh, aware of the struggle of that and how there are so many people who have been made to feel like, you know what, if you don't have a certain image, if you don't look a certain way, then you're not acceptable. And so I, I get that 
wholeheartedly. Um, but I think it's also important for people to see like, yeah, it's possible. And that's where the encouragement becomes important. It's mm -hmm. not about shaming. It's not about um, criticism. It's just to inspire. Like, listen, this is possible. You can do it. You have it in you. Uh, if, Lord knows if I could, you could. Yeah, <laughs> I I guess, one I of my could. questions for you is, and you and I have never, I don't think we've talked about this in our friendship, but it, mm -hmm. tell me how the exercise, because to me, it, you're, you're, it is exactly what your book is. Your body externally responded to an internal change. Yes. How is yes. exercise and in, in, in the internal part of doing that work affected you and what has exercise done for you? Wow. That's, that's a really a great question. Um, yeah. So I, I got on my fitness journey, like right after my youngest son was born and I was at a place, I think I was just, you know, I was again, outwardly successful. People thought I was, you know, just really doing a great, great job. I was getting a lot of awards and recognitions, but I just did not feel good about myself. Like I didn't feel good physically, but I also didn't feel good just psychologically. And so um, I just, I just, I prayed, mm. you know, and that's, that's the absolute truth. Like I prayed and I said, Lord, I need the grace to change this. Yeah. And I prayed every single day and, and God was faithful. Uh, and that's what made the difference. And just, you know, again, getting on a plan, <laughs> making a decision. This is what I will eat. This is, you know, what I won't eat. This is how I'm going to live my life. Uh, and once I made that decision, you know, I started to see the results and the, I think the results become like self-reinforcing to where it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, I can do this. And then, and then, so uh, I also had to adopt the fact, because when you are doing this, you're, you're not always going to lose weight. So that's where people usually stop because they get discouraged. What I learned to do, however, is when I saw plateaus, when I wasn't seeing the scale move down, I would just tell myself, okay, that just means I need to work harder hmm. or, oh, okay. That just means I need to change something up. Uh, I learned to just recognize that as a signal from my body that I need to do something different. I didn't see it as like failure. Um, and I think that's how I was able to actually commit to it for the long term. Man, it, one of the interesting things to me has been during the months of April and May, everyone was outside walking. Right. <laughs> and everyone, it, it was like this new understanding that moving your body, that when you have nothing else, at least you can walk outside. Yeah. It just felt yep. like this, like our whole, I, I can't speak for the whole world, but I can speak for our country because I've watched, I know people in a lot of places that, that there were so many people who said like, oh, I forgot how much my body liked to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're talking as I'm, I'm looking out my window, there's two women walking by holding water bottles. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think, I think this situation has definitely uh, awakened people to the fact that our bodies were not made to just be inside sitting down all day. Yes. Our bodies were actually made to move, to, yes. to enjoy the sun, to enjoy the breeze. Like that's, that's how we were created. Yeah, when I, because of my, I have a very complicated history with all of this, but what <laughs> is, what remains true and has been true for a long time is that, is that getting outside and moving actually just changes my like spirit and my insides. And it is yeah. okay. It, it is okay if my body doesn't respond like a before and after picture you see on Instagram on Tuesdays. Yep. Like what yep. I'm trying to do is for the rest of my life, exercise the whole time. <laughs> right. 
Right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. What we started to try to do as a family is, um, and it's funny cause you know, my boys, they have bikes mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when, when we were younger, that's, that's what we did. Like we rode our bikes, my boys, they will ride their bike for like two minutes and then say, mommy, I think my legs are broken. I need to go back home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I literally, my, my, my youngest son literally told me the other day we rode maybe 0.2 miles, not exaggerating. He said, mommy, my legs are broken. Oh, wow. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, help us Lord. That's right. It's in all of us, right? I mean, it's in me, right. it's in your son, it's in all of us. But gosh, I just can tell. I was even saying to my assistant, Jenna, our chief Annie officer here, I was saying to her, I was like, we just have to get outside today while it's not raining. It's like suddenly checking the weather is the first thing we do because (laughs) we've got to get outside at some time because this pandemic has just changed so much of that for us. I know. Yeah. But I think one of the, you know, there's so many people in hospitals um, who are fighting for their lives, so many families who have been impacted by this. And it's been just really devastating to see. And I think at the same time, on the flip side, it's also been interesting to see how people have returned to a sense of community that had been missing. You know, I mean, I've met neighbors that I didn't even know. I've been in my neighborhood for like four or five years now. I didn't know these people. I had no idea who they were because we didn't go outside. Right. And so it's just been really interesting um, to see how now this, it took a pandemic for for us to rediscover the importance of people. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, one of the things I'm taking with me into our next normal phase after the pandemic that had us home is just like a a consistent prioritizing of getting outside. Mm -hmm. And at least through the summer until it gets cold again, and then we're going to have to have a whole nother conversation with myself. (laughs) What's something you're going to take with you into our next normal from this, these couple of months that have been so different? Well, one thing um, that I'm hoping to be able to take with me if I can like slow this schedule down is really just being more present hmm. with, with my family. That's been a challenge for me is because um, typically, you know, when I was, uh, when the world was working, yeah. <laughs> I, I was gone sometimes four days out of the week. Yeah. Uh, I would be speaking somewhere or, you know, in California or somewhere in the world. And I was, you know, when I was home, I was still thinking about work or I was thinking about the next engagement I had to speak at, or there was always something else to do. And I wasn't really able to be fully present with my family. And so now I'm going to really try to take into this next normal, um, the ability to just be present, just, just be and be okay with that. You know, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to, you know, uh, perform all the time. Just be, just be where you are. That's beautiful. Hey, is there anything we didn't get to talk about that you want to talk about? I mean, so many. I'm, we're like just beginning having you on the show. I'm going to need you like a hundred more times. No, this was amazing. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed this. And I, I think the one thing I would say is just for, for listeners to just be encouraged. You know, this, this is such an uncertain time. And I know that there's a lot of people who are feeling like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Um, but, you know, God has made provision for us. God has not left us. He's not forsaken us. And this is just a time for us to reconnect in ways that we were disconnected before. So uh, that's part of the reason why I'm so excited to do this uh, podcast. I know. <laughs> I know. To be able to talk with you. That's such a good word, Nona. Like it, if we could just in our lives today, sit down and make a list of ways we feel reconnected. 
Like, yeah. do you feel reconnected to friends? Do you feel reconnected to some of your dreams? Do you feel reconnected to your love of reading? Do you feel reconnected mm-hmm. to your body? Like what has happened in this time of us being at staying at home that has reconnected? Because it's real easy for people like you and me who should be traveling for our jobs and all things to list all the ways we're disconnected. Right. That's but, absolutely right. But what yeah. a good word to talk about reconnection. Thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for success from the inside out. It has been on my desk at work and I just absolutely love it. So thank I you. really appreciate You're you such writing a gift. it. That means it's I appreciate you, girl. <laughs> okay. The last question we always ask Nona, because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what you do for fun. <laughs> right now, um, what I'm doing for fun is literally just laying in my bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> And that, that is probably like one of the most boring things to do But for someone like me who has been on the road for like years, laying in my bed is like the apex mm. of my life right now. That's mm. so much fun. That's a good answer. I respect that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friend. Well, listen, if we can ever do anything for you, you've got me and this whole crowd of friends listening on your team. So you just holler. Thank you, girl. I appreciate you so much. All right, Nona, it is Wednesday, June 3rd, mm-hmm. and we are just uh, doing, we, we recorded our original conversation about two and a half weeks ago, but I wanted us to do, and you wanted us to do, we both wanted to do kind of a, a touch point again before the show comes out on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the moment we are in right now is uh, such a challenging time. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to create this space to, to talk a little bit. Yeah. T- can you tell me first, how are you feeling and how are your husband and sons and, and what's going on in your home? What's it feel like? Well, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling so conflicted on the one hand, you know, I, I'm just exhausted, um, from the, not just the 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 moment that we're in, but just kind of the um, the additive experiences over these sure. last many years, and how uh, it just it just keeps happening. And it isn't even just that it keeps happening that troubles me. Uh, it's the fact that the conversation keeps getting like stuck in the wrong place. And I think that's the part that's exhausting is um, I think that there's been so much just um, ideological, what I call ideological glue that Mm -hmm. keeps people um, stuck in a mold uh, that isn't helpful. And so give an example of what that feel like one, one thing that that would, that we're (laughs) stuck on that doesn't actually matter. Yeah. So, um, so I've, I've been, uh, pretty vocal through my social media, um, about my own experience and my own observations. And I've had people either send me messages or call my, um, my ministry and leave messages basically saying how, you know, disappointed they are in me and that I would, uh, you know, as they have called it, you know, race bait <laughs> or yeah. how, um, you know, shocked they are that I would dare, you know, have anything to say that has any political implications. Um, I actually was engaged in a conversation with a woman um, who made the statement. She said, you know, you know, what you're saying is you're basically, you know, blaming the president for, you know, stoking racist views, but the president has done more for the black community than any president ever. And um, when she said it, the the way that that triggered me 
was it made me feel exactly the same way that I felt the day that my mom told me that the reason she let her boyfriend sexually abuse me is because she needed the money to buy me toys and clothes. And um, it, it hit me like the exact same way. Cause it was almost like, you know, how dare you complain about what, you know, someone says and the implications of what they have said, look at all they've done for you. Like that's, yeah, that's how yeah. it hit me. So it's been really, really difficult. And, um, I, the other day, um, I was in my office and I was, you know, dealing with this in the emotion of it all. And I looked out the window and my two little boys were riding their bikes, um, in front of the house. And it just yeah. hit me like, you know what, every, every black mother whose son, uh, or daughter has been murdered, um, in, in just a, a crazy heinous way was in the exact same position as me watching their children, riding their bikes outside, playing games, giving them hugs and kisses. Um, and, and that's gone. And for what, yeah, yeah. you know, for what? So that's, that's where I'm at. And, uh, it's just a really difficult time. I will say the reason I'm conflicted though, is because as much as my heart is broken, I've also been incredibly inspired and just grateful for people like you and and other white Christian leaders who have stood up and said, you know what? Nope this this isn't this isn't right. Like this isn't right, and uh, we need to we need to do more um, about it. And so I'm just I'm I'm grateful for that, and I feel like this is a moment. I feel like this yeah. is a moment in time where people are like, you know what? Enough is enough. And I actually said to a friend of mine, I feel like with the pandemic, um, because we're, we're, we're home, I think we're paying more attention um, yes. than we maybe normally would. Yeah. I One of the things I try to do, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I used to teach uh, fourth and fifth grade. And one of the things I try to do when I see both criminals and victims is I try to go, what were they like as a fourth grader? Like what, you know, kind of doing that same thing you're talking about as a mom of going like, can I picture them as a kid and what they were like and what it would have been like to have them in my classroom? Because it changes yeah. every, it, it just humanizes people to yeah. remember them as kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the aspects of um, race in this country that I think many people haven't paid enough attention to is in fact that when it comes to these issues, I've noticed a trend where um, Black people in particular are not allowed the, the privilege of being a child. So as an example, mm. uh, I remember when, um, so when, when, uh, when Michael Phelps, you know, this, this incredibly yeah. world-renowned swimmer, uh, when he went on like a rampage, um, and I remember it was when he was doing, I think, like Olympic you know, pre-qualifications and, you know, he destroyed a hotel room and he was drunk and he was doing all this stuff. People said uh, in his defense, they said, well, he's just a kid. You know, he has to learn. Um, he was not just a kid. Right. Kind of like, bless a, his heart. Bless his yeah, heart. He's he super was, rich. He's yeah, incredibly full, talented. Yeah. Full grown man. Yeah, but when, yeah. uh, when Trayvon Martin was murdered by George Zimmerman, this, this, literally kid who went to the convenience store to get a pack of Skittles and uh, an Arizona tea 
uh, when this young man was murdered by this man, people immediately said, well, he was a thug. You know, he had been expelled from school. Oh, no, he had been su- suspended from school. So let me get my facts straight. He was suspended from school before. Um, oh, my gosh. You know, he he had smoked weed before. Uh, and like there was just this narrative that was created uh, around this literal kid who yeah. suddenly was perceived as this big, bad, grown man who deserved to die because he had smoked weed, apparently, as if that was a capital crime. And um, I think about even uh, young black girls and how there is this um, this perception that uh, they are somehow older than they are. And so uh, you look at the juvenile justice system and that's, you know, predominantly uh, over, there's, there's a predominant overrepresentation of girls of color and the reason for that is people will say things like, oh, well, you know, they they they're, they shouldn't act that way because they should know better. It's like you're dealing with, with 10 year, 10 year olds, 11 year olds, 20 year olds. But somehow we have gotten it in our mind that uh, black people in some way should know better <laughs> than their white counterparts who are the exact same age, if not older. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and it's it's those types of, I think, uh, incongruencies that have created a sense of um, injustice and anger, I think, in the the Black community for so many years. Uh, and that's why I think this is such an important moment, because now we have people who are like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Um, it does feel different, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Really does. Okay. And forgive me if this is a terrible question, but I'm learning publicly. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Um, even if it doesn't come, a, come out great the first sure. time. Uh, I'm also in a text conversation with a good friend of mine from church who's a policeman. Mm-hmm. And I am really struggling with how to make sure where I stand on racism and being an anti-racist is, which is what I want to be and what I am, I hope. And saying to our policemen, I know it's not all of you. I know most of you are really good men and women who keep us safe. What is your thoughts on that? And how do we support, how can we be yes and? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the unfortunate part of this whole conversation is that we have set up this false dichotomy, which is we have to either choose uh, justice or we have to choose to support law enforcement which is actually a really strange dichotomy if you think about it, right? Right. Because law enforcement should equal justice. <laughs> um, right. So uh, what, what, I have, what I have essentially done is I have just said, I think that where, where the conversation has gone off the rails is that we have tried to make that choice as if those are the only options, I think the, the, the thing that we have to do is it is, it's both and. What we have to do is we have to find a way uh, to, I think, engage the law enforcement community to say, listen, we, we should just know this isn't right. Like this, this isn't right. There's, there's no reason why statistically uh, black people are twice as likely as white people to be killed um, uh, when interacting with law enforcement. That that just isn't right. And so we have to find a way to actually together, like everybody go into the system and figure out what is broken in the system that needs to be fixed. What we cannot do, what we absolutely cannot do is retreat to our corners 
because doing that is why the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, these laws are on the books, but they're not in, in our hearts. And so that's part of the reason why we are where we are. Um, I think it's, it's truly an issue of uh, baked injustice. And by that, what I mean is the way that the system has been created, it was created with injustice as the DNA. And mm-hmm. so th- that's why you have certain parties who are essentially safe and you have others who are at risk. So I don't think it's either or, I think it's both and. What I am hoping to see, what I'm hoping comes out of this is that people realize it, it's it's a false dichotomy. Like yeah. if you think that you can only be on one side or the other, uh, you've already lost the war. Yes, that's, and it, it's just figuring out how to say that publicly and well, you know? I mean, you just did it for me. So yay, I'm just gonna tell people to listen to you. But because, you know, when I was texting my policeman friend, I was going like, Hey, I'm, I'm for you. I know the kind of man you are. I like, I, and I know, and, and he, and they, he and his friends, I'm sure feel scared and hurt and worried. And, and everyone doesn't know how to do this well, Nona, but the good side of white people waking up is that we're saying things. The bad side of white people waking up is right when you wake up, you usually aren't your most coherent. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's true, but but you know what? That's why these these platforms uh, and these conversations are so critically important. And honestly, you know this this is nothing new. Like let's let's right. if, if we if we were able to to go back to the the, the civil rights movement era, um, not only was this exact same conversation had, but let's just be honest law enforcement was explicitly used to oppress. Like it, right. it wasn't, it wasn't a question of, you know, not all, you know, cops are bad. It was, we're going to use this division of the government in order to oppress, suppress yeah. and murder. And so that, I think that's the part of the equation that we just have to be honest about. I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot mm-hmm. change what you do not acknowledge. And it yeah. wasn't it wasn't that with the passing of this legislation uh, that suddenly everyone just like took a big, you know, exhale and it was like, all right, now we're all free, we're all on the same accord, like let's move forward as a nation. That is not what happened. There were mm-hmm. many people, institutional leaders at the highest levels who were vehemently opposed to any legislation that sought to actually even the scales. As a matter of fact, there was, um, uh, many years ago, you may remember, so there was a lot of debates about affirmative action as Mm -hmm. a a mechanism to create economic parity through uh, opportunity for people of color. The intent of affirmative action was recognizing the fact that you cannot have a people who have been economically oppressed and suppressed uh, since the foundation of this country for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you cannot suddenly expect that they are going to have equal access to any and every opportunity. So in order to create those opportunities, you have to actually affirmatively create the space. It's not going to happen right. by osmosis. There was right. so much debate about it because people said, oh, this is unfair. This is unfair. You know, I should not be punished because uh, I am not a racist and I myself uh, did not create these systems. The problem, however, was even if you yourself are not that, you are the benefactor of that <laughs> because yeah. now you yeah. have you have centuries and centuries of wealth of systems that have been created to to actually advantage you for no other reason 
than because of your skin color, while the reverse is the experience for Black people. And so uh, there was this huge debate about it. It ultimately got struck down by the Supreme Court, but what did not get struck down uh, were the actual practices for affirmative action for white people. And I'll give you a concrete example of that. Uh, I attended the University of Florida love uh, the university. It was such a wonderful experience for me. And I went um, to Georgia and somehow we're still friends. Look, everyone. Oh my goodness, girl. It look, can any, happen. Anything is possible. <laughs> anything is possible. <laughs> that is, that is evidence. But I will, I will never forget. I went, I went to UF during the season when uh, the then governor of Florida, governor Jeb Bush, uh, yeah. he tried to do something similar for affirmative action. It was called the one Florida plan. And the intent of the one Florida plan was to dismantle uh, the uh, impact of affirmative action. His intention and his heart was, oh, well, it's unfair to advantage people based on race, based on um, there being people of color. And so it should be that if anybody goes to a you know public institution of higher learning in Florida, that they're admitted by merit only. So the one Florida plan actually struck down the, the point system that was used to admit students to public uh, universities, including the University of Florida, uh, where there was a point that was given if you came from a disadvantaged background or if you came from uh, a race that was underrepresented. So, you know, I, I basically no longer had the ability to get that point, which was fine because I was admitted anyway because of my grades. But what One Florida didn't address is the fact that there was a point awarded to you if your parent was an alum of the University of Florida. The problem with that is because the University of Florida didn't admit students of color for hundreds of years, there was no way that my mother or father could have been alumni of the University of Florida. And so there was no way for me to get that point. And yet that point was awarded to students whose parents were alumni. And who were those students? White students. So that wasn't a question of merit. There was nothing about merit in the fact that a, a person's parent was an alum of the University of Florida. But that's kind of how the how the system um, has been designed. And I think uh, I think many times because we just just don't know, we assume oh people are complaining. It's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. And so that's why I'm so glad that people like yourself and others are speaking up and being like, look, we we got to educate ourselves and we got to do better. It is a marathon decision. Like what we're all making is like there are changes in podcasting plans we have two and a half weeks from now yeah. that no one's going to know today. So it's not going to be allowed today. But but what my team and I keep saying because of teachers like you and Latasha and Dante Stewart, who are y'all are teaching me like, OK, this is long term. You don't have to be super loud day one. You just need to be loud day one through forever. Yeah. <laughs> it just needs to be, it's just part. And I mean, I'm even thinking about my, I have a sister who's having a baby, and I'm like, okay, we're going to make sure that my gifts include books and toys that are, di- that are diverse. Like yeah. this is a long play, right? That's what, that's what partnership with you and me together in this feels like as if, if Annie as the white girl steps into this as a long play. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing here, Nona. You listen, just, you get you to are. pass this around. <laughs> no, listen, you are. And, and I got to tell you, um, it's, and I, I want to say this for everyone listening who has been wrestling with this. Thank you. Um, 
thank you for for the the courage that it takes because here's the thing like nobody is excited about this conversation like nobody is like yes we finally <laughs> get to talk about racism in America like nobody yeah. including myself because it's painful like it's mm-hmm. so deeply deeply painful to talk about the fact i mean here's here's reality and 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 i just i want to be super transparent you know as someone who is a survivor of sexual abuse like what i experienced honestly is nothing compared to what my four mothers experienced the reason why my skin tone is what it is is because of rape that mm-hmm. is why and it's it is knowing that my four mothers um, were casually assaulted routinely on a regular basis by men they didn't know. And they basically were told if, you know, if you don't like it, we'll kill you. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. that um, it, it breaks my heart in a million pieces. And that's part of the reason why um, this conversation is so necessary because there is this idea that it's not that big of a deal or that we're making light of, or that we're not, we're not, we're just making it, blowing it up into something that it's not. Um, there's layers to this thing. And I will say this, uh, this is a spiritual battle. Like it literally yeah. truly is. Racism is a spirit. It is. Uh, it's not a mindset. It's not a, it's not a social construct alone. Mm-hmm. It is a spirit. And that spirit has been allowed to take up residence in the hearts and the minds of people for too long um, yeah. in this country. It's time to cast it out. It's time to tear it down. Uh, and I'm committed to doing that. I know you are and others are. Yeah, and I'm so, like, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm ready for it. All right. Nona, thank you for doing this today. I'm really grateful for you. Thank you for having me as always. Okay, listen, friends, do you love Nona or what? I know. I'm betting a bunch of you are already friends with her, but I'm very excited to have introduced her to some of y'all. Make sure you follow her on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Tell her thank you so much for being on the show and what you enjoyed about it. And grab a copy of her book, Success from the Inside Out. If you need anything else from me, y'all know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out and do something or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And I'll do the same. And have a great weekend. We will see you back here on Monday with a fan favorite, a friend favorite, an all-around favorite, Sophie Hudson. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Monday.